May God speak to you through today's message from Senior Pastor Mike McGowan. Good morning and welcome to Parkway Fellowship. So glad that you're here as we wrap up the, our series of You Asked For It. I want to say welcome North Campus for joining us here on our video feed. And today's message, uh, the topic was by far the number one question submitted on our survey. I'll be honest with you, it really wasn't even close. And the number one question essentially was this. If God is loving, why does he let bad things happen? If God's loving, why does he let bad things happen? Now look, I'm not talking about the bad things that happen in life because of like our bad choices, okay? If someone goes, they have too much to drink, and they run off the road and hit a light pole, okay, look, God did not do that, okay? That is a product of our own choices. But what I am talking about is things that happened like what happened to a girl in my youth group when I was a youth pastor, She had graduated from Katie High School the year before. She was down at the coast water skiing with her family and her boyfriend. And um, the boyfriend was driving the boat and went a little bit too close to basically a rotted out dock. And the only thing that was left were those, you know, those big giant wood pilings. And she got a little too close, hit one of those, and was killed almost instantly. Her parents were devastated, as you could well imagine. Their little girl, their only daughter, was dead. And they were asking this question, that if God is, if God is loving, why did he let this happen to our baby girl? I mean, she had her whole life in front of her. Why did he let this happen? She didn't do anything to deserve it. She was a good girl. She went to church. She was a Christ follower. So why did God allow this to happen? What do we say in those kinds of situations? What do we say? I gotta tell you, it is really, really difficult. You know, what, what do we say when a family member gets a diagnosis of cancer, what do we say to the teenage girl who was raped? And then what do we say to their family when she becomes pregnant as a result? What do we say to the little boy who grew up being molested by an uncle? I'm telling you, when it comes to these types of situations, it's really hard because this is just, this is a lot more than just a philosophical question that, you know, is debated in, you know, theoretical terms. I'm telling you, these are real life situations that happen to real people and it affects real lives. So what do we say? And let me be honest we are not going to be able to find answers for every possible scenario, okay? That is just not realistic. And honestly, there are some things that happen in life that just defy explanation because there is no explanation. And we just will not know this side of heaven. But look, it doesn't mean that God's changed. It just means that we don't have an explanation. 
But our Heavenly Father does give us some explanations about some of the things that happen in life. Okay? Now look, that doesn't mean that the pain of a tragedy is going to go away. Just because you can explain it doesn't mean that it hurts any less. But what it does mean is that it gives us some possibilities to grasp onto. When it feels like everything is just slipping away, God gives us some possibilities that we can grab onto when it feels like there is nothing else to grab onto. <clears throat> now, of all of the questions that we received on this topic, most of the questions fell or followed uh, essentially were some, I'm sorry, let me say it like this. Of all the questions we received on this topic, most of them were some version of the three questions that we're going to look at this morning. So pull out your message notes if you haven't done so already, and let's look at the three types of questions that we got that all came in under this topic, okay? And let's allow the Lord to shed some light on the places where our understanding is dark, okay? So one of the most frequent questions on this topic, and what does God say in answer to them? Here's the first question. Why does God allow children to suffer? Why does God allow children to suffer? Okay? The, the thought behind this question really is essentially this. Little children don't deserve to suffer. They haven't done anything. They haven't done anything wrong. They can't defend themselves. They don't deserve this. Look, let's let, let's let some of the really bad adults in the world suffer, okay? But not little kids. Essentially, this violates our sense of fairness, right? Look, we have got to stop thinking about suffering in terms of fairness. And really, that's the dilemma behind most of the questions involved when it comes to suffering. That since we don't think that the person deserved it, that we think that God is being unloving, being unfair fair by allowing them to go through it. Because, look, here's the deal. If a serial rapist was diagnosed with cancer and was going to die, it wouldn't bother you all that much, would it? In fact, probably somewhere in the back of the mind, in your mind, you might think, well, you know, he kind of deserves it. Well, whether he deserves it or not makes no difference. You and I have got to stop thinking about suffering in terms of fairness. Because if we do, the why behind suffering will always remain a mystery. Always. And it will cause you to doubt God's goodness because along the way, he is going to violate your sense of fairness. And look, the deal is, there's not a single verse, there's not one verse in this entire Bible that says that God runs the world based on fairness. It's never here. And, and, and here's the bigger truth, you really don't want him to. Because if God gave you what you deserved in life, you wouldn't live another minute. Because I'm telling you, every single one, we have sinned so many times. We have broken so many of our promises to God. We have violated so many of our commitments to God that if he treated us fairly, it would go very badly for us, wouldn't it? So 
We don't really want fair. Not really. And the, the deal is, life's not fair. In fact, your mama probably told you that. You probably said it to your kids. I mean, I know I've said it to mine. Life is not fair. So we got to stop thinking about suffering in terms of fairness because it's not fair. And the truth is, we don't really want fair because we would come out on the losing end of that deal, okay? So let's look at what God actually does say about how the world truly operates. Now, I'm going to give you a little Bible background in case maybe you're new to church or you're new to Christianity. Um, Adam and Eve lived in the Garden of Eden where everything was perfect. Literally, everything was perfect. And then they ate the fruit that God had forbidden them to eat. And when they did, they sinned. And when sin entered the world, from that point forward, humanity began to experience suffering and pain and hurt and violence and difficulty because we now live in a world that is tainted by sin. And God says that since we all live in this world, both good and bad happen to people indiscriminately. Look what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, this is Jesus talking, he says this, he says, he, and that's a reference to God, okay, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And the point that Jesus is making here is this, is that just as the sun rises on the evil and on the good, just as the rain falls on the evil and the good, so does suffering, as well as blessing, fall on the evil and on the good. And unfortunately, that includes children. So something, sometimes things happen to kids that, don't seem, that doesn't seem fair. And it's not fair. But we have to stop thinking about suffering in terms of fairness. We have to understand that we live in a world that has been so deeply affected by sin that those who don't deserve to suffer are going to suffer at times, and that includes kids. Okay, so what does that mean for us? It means this. Don't squander your time with your kids. Take advantage of the time you have with your kids. You only have a certain number of days with your kids. And the thing is, you don't know how many days that is. Look, if you knew going into it that your child was only going to live to be 15 years old, would you just say, well, I'm not going to have that child? No, you wouldn't say that. But what you would do is you would maximize those 15 years because you know that's all you've got. So what I'm saying is, is that you and I, we need to take advantage of whatever stage of life we are in with our kids because we don't know how many days we have. Now look, don't, I'm not saying you need to live like they're going to die tomorrow. Okay, like that's morbid. Okay, so don't do that. But what I am saying is take advantage of the time you do have. And so in answer to this question, God would say this. 
Stop thinking in terms of fairness. Take full advantage of the time you have with your kids. Stop thinking in terms of fairness. Take full advantage of the time you have with your kids. Okay, second most popular question we got on this topic essentially was this. Why do good people suffer as much as bad people and sometimes more so? Why do good people suffer as much as bad people and sometimes more so? Again, the problem here is that, you know, it just doesn't seem fair. But look, we got to stop thinking about suffering in terms of fairness. But here's the deal. It does seem that good people seem to suffer more than bad people. I mean, it, it does seem that. And why would God do that? I mean, look, if he is a good God, why should good people suffer more than bad people? I mean, you know, like, isn't that bad for business, you know, so to speak, kind of thing? Well, here's the thing. If God's goal was for us to be good people, then I think you might have an argument there. But God's goal is not for us to be good. God's goal is for us to be Christ-like. And that is a totally different standard altogether. It's totally different. Now let me give you some background to this next passage so that it's going to make sense. The prophet Jeremiah lived in a time of moral decay. People had strayed from God, the king had strayed from God, and so they are about to experience some suffering, but not as punishment, but so that God could change their hearts. Look what the Bible says in Jeremiah 18, beginning in verse 3. I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, working at the wheel. Whenever the object of clay which he was making turned out badly in his hand, he tried again, making of the clay another object of whatever sort he pleased. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Can I not do to you, house of Israel, as this potter has done, says the Lord? Indeed, like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, house of Israel. So God says that he desires to shape us in a certain way because he wants to change our hearts. And look, sometimes that shaping and reshaping can be painful. But in the end, we're better off for it. Okay, now look, let me offer this disclaimer before we go any farther. I'm not saying that if you were abused or if you were victimized, that God caused that to happen because he wanted to reshape your character. Okay, that is not true. Those types of things happen as the result of sinful choices of other people. God did not cause that. But what I am saying is that those trials that come into our lives that are not the result of these sinful choices of other people, sometimes God wants to use those things to shape or to reshape our character. All right, you gotta think about it like this. Um, I have a yellow lab and her name is Gracie. And I know that you think your dog is good, but I'm telling you, my dog might be the best dog that has ever walked this planet, 
okay? I know, I'm sorry, your dog is second best, okay? But I'm gonna tell you, my dog wasn't always perfect, okay? In fact, I remember one time when she was a puppy, like I gave her a bath, and then I let her out in the yard. You know what that dumb dog did? Yeah, she went and rolled in the dirt in the flower bed. And I ran out there, I'm screaming like a wild I'm like, stop, stop, stop. You know, and I grab her by the neck and I just went and I drag her back in the house and I give her another bath. I mean, it was unbelievable. And I had, you know, I'll be honest, that dog stunk. And so, I mean, I had to bathe her again. I mean, she just stunk. Now, from the dog's perspective, she might have thought that I was a cruel and unloving master for giving her a bath and then giving her a second bath and really throughout her life disciplining and training her. She might have had those thoughts about me as a master. But in the end, she's become a more lovable dog because of it. And isn't that the same with us and God? Doesn't sometimes he bring painful difficulty or trials into our lives because there are some parts of our character that stink and he wants to change them. Or he wants to draw out part of our character that is undeveloped to make us more lovable as people. Okay, now, think about it even deeper than that. Much like my dog is, I promise you, is one of the best dogs to ever roam the planet because she has been perfected through her training. She now enjoys me more as a master. She enjoys me more as well. And if we would allow God to perfect us through training, which can be painful, then we would enjoy him more. And our relationship with him would be closer than we ever dreamed possible. So, in response to this question, God says this. If I allow a trial, it might be to reshape you so that we will be closer at the end. So that we will be closer at the end. Now, the third type of question that we got basically went like this. If God's all-loving and all-powerful, then why does he allow evil to exist at all? I mean, if he's all-loving and he's all-powerful, why, why does evil even exist? And this is a great question because it gives us an opportunity to think very deeply about a biblical worldview. I mean, you know, simply put, God allows evil in the world so that we can choose to follow him. To which you and I would say, well, hold on there. I would choose to follow God even if evil didn't exist in the world, so why don't we just like, get rid of this whole evil thing? Well, evil must exist in order to give us a viable choice, and when we, it's only when we have a viable choice does our choosing have any real meaning. 
Okay, think about it like this. A marriage, the love in a marriage has no real meaning if you're married to that person because they were the only option in the entire world. If they were the only option in the entire world, then the love in the marriage has no meaning because there was no other choice. But if you choose someone out of a thousand other options, well, now that love has some serious meaning. But let's be honest, guys. You didn't have a thousand other options, okay? (laughs) I know that you think of yourself as like this chiseled Adonis type of person, but the truth is you're really more of a fixer-upper. I am too, like I get that, okay? But the point is still the same. One reason that the Lord allows evil to exist is to give our choice of following him real meaning. And so for now, God allows evil to exist. But I'm gonna tell you what, one day he's gonna bring evil to an end, and at the end of history, when the devil and all of his kind are thrown into the lake of fire, Here's what it'll be like. Revelation 21.4, the Bible says this, he, this God, will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. But until that day comes, it is a tribute to God's power that he can take what was meant for evil and he can use it for good. Look, God doesn't cause evil to happen, but he can transform it to good by using it to transform us. Look what else the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verses 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So in response to this question, God says this, Am I powerful enough to eliminate evil? Yes, and one day I will. But until then, I will use my power to transform moments of suffering to good uses in your life. That's what God says. I will use my power to transform moments of suffering to good uses in your life. Look at this last verse, or this set of verses. In Romans 8, beginning verse 35, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? I want you to, in fact, underline that. Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Look, when we go through times of suffering, it can, it can sure feel like we're separated from Christ's love, can it? It can feel that way. But listen, what we feel and what is real are not always the same thing. What we feel and what is real are not always the same thing. So can anything separate you from Christ's love? No. Nothing. And how do you know? Remember back in the start of the message we talked about children suffering? Look, if your child was going through real suffering and you had the power to stop it, 
I mean, wouldn't you stop it? Well, yeah, of course you would, because you love your child, so you would stop the suffering because you have the power to do it. Okay, think about this. When God's son, his one and only son, when Jesus was being whipped, beaten, having his beard torn out of his face, when the nails were driven through his hands and his feet, look, God had the power to stop it. Okay, let that sink in. God had the power to stop it. But he didn't. He didn't stop it so that Jesus could die to pay for your sins so that you wouldn't have to. God allowed Jesus to die because he loved you so much that he wanted to have a relationship with you. And that was the only way to make it, to allow it to happen. And if our Heavenly Father was willing to go through the personal agony of watching his one and only son suffer and hurt so bad, knowing that he had the power to stop it at any moment, but yet he let it play out, then does it make any sense at all that he would allow you to suffer only to drive you away from him? No! So there must be another explanation for why there is suffering. It's not to drive you away. That would make no sense at all. So if he's not trying to drive you away, there must be another explanation. And now look, I'm not saying that the pain of suffering isn't real, or I'm not trying to downplay it, or I'm not trying to tell you to pretend that it's no big deal. I mean, it is. But what I am saying is that God sometimes allows suffering. But it doesn't mean it separates you from his love. In fact, he might be using that pain or want to use that pain to bring you closer to him than you ever imagined possible. Because people that have been through suffering and learned to lean on God deeply in the process know him in a way that other people cannot. So, find your connection card. Let's take some next steps together. Maybe it's this first next step. I will stop thinking of suffering in terms of fairness. It's a great next step. I will just stop thinking about it in terms of fairness. Next, I commit to make the most of the time I have with my kids and or grandkids. So I'm telling you, you don't know how much time you have. So just make the most of it. Next, I will depend on God more during trials so I will be closer to him in the end. That's a huge commitment. So instead of being angry and shaking your fist at him, lean harder into him and depend on him more. It's counterintuitive, but boy, I'm telling you, the payoff is huge. Next, I commit to allow God to transform those events in my life that cause me pain and use them for good. It's a great next step. This next one. I will not turn away from God, from following God when I go through trying times. 
I'm not going to turn away from him. In fact, I'll follow him even harder. Or this next one. I'll memorize Romans 8, 35 and 37. I mean, this, this, this set of verses is so deep and rich in theology. Check it out. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecute or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Now, I know that's a little bit longer than we normally memorize, but I'm telling you, it is so deep and rich. Your life will be deeper and richer for memorizing if you would take the time to do it. Or this last one. I will pray the prayer to become a Christ follower today for the first time in my life. There's a sample prayer for how to become a Christ follower right below these next steps. If you've never prayed that prayer before, and you now realize all that Jesus went through to pay for your sins so that you could go to heaven when you die. If you've never prayed that prayer before, I want to give you a chance to pray it right now. In fact, I want to give everybody in this room a chance to pray and ask God to help you follow through these next steps and transform your life. So right now, everybody, bow your head, close your eyes. And whatever next step you've taken, I want you to pray and ask God to use it to change you. And if you are ready to pray that prayer to become a Christ follower, this is your chance to do it. Father, I want to say thank you that no matter what comes in life, that none of it can separate us from your love for us. Oh, you love us so much. And I pray for those families in this room that are going through very, very difficult trying times at whatever level, that you would help them experience your love in a way they never thought possible. And that you would use these things in life to refine us, to mold us, to reshape our character, our hearts, not to make us good, but to make us more Christ-like. And that you would use us to help spread your message of love and joy and hope to people in this world that are hopeless. And so, Lord, I ask that you would help us to put our faith and trust deeper in you than we ever have before. And at the end of it all, God, that we would enjoy our relationship with you more than we ever imagined. And I ask that you would do this and bring us all back safely next week in the name of Jesus Christ, who was willing to suffer so that we wouldn't have to. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, Find us online at parkwayfellowship.com or facebook.com slash parkwayfellowship. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more. It is available both in the Apple App Store and Android's Google Play.